Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, November 18th. November is Lung Cancer Awareness Month. 770 CHQR on-air contributor Dave McIver spoke to a UFC doctor to find out what's new in terms of screening for this deadly disease and what we need to know about the leading cause of cancer death among both men and women in Canada. Could paralysis soon be treatable? Well, there's a new type of treatment showing great promise in mice and the findings well, it could be life-changing for humans. We speak with with Samuel Stop, Professor of Materials, Science, Chemistry and Medicine at Northwestern University in Chicago to find out about this cutting-edge treatment. It's been a rough couple of years for individuals and organizations and the Veterans Food Bank is no exception. So as we move into winter, the Kensington BRZ has a plan to help those who bravely fought for our freedoms but who rarely ask for help themselves. We're speaking with Executive Director Annie McGinnis to find out what we can do. And we talk to the founder of a business born out of the pandemic a Calgary company is taking the stress and work out of baking for the holidays and beyond. We're joined by the woman behind Lazy Bake, Katie Duffin. November is Lung Cancer Awareness Month. Early screening for lung cancer can make this deadly disease more treatable and potentially curable. Our own Dave McIver spoke to a UFC doctor to find out more. Cancer is the largest cause of Canadian deaths, and lung cancer is the largest cause of cancer-related deaths. However, if diagnosed early, patients have a better chance at surviving this deadly disease. Most lung cancers, unfortunately, are diagnosed at a very advanced stage where they're much more difficult to treat and cure. Um, and, and the reason that is, is they don't cause symptoms until they're, they're relatively advanced. So they kind of sit in your lung and you don't feel them at all um, until they start kind of spreading. Uh, and by then it's much harder to treat them. So by, by screening with imaging, it's a CT scan has been the main way to, to do this. Um, by, by doing CT scans, we can detect lung cancers much earlier when, when they're treatable and curable. Um, so it's really a good, a good, a good, uh, a, a good approach to this uh, really, really lethal disease. That's Dr. Alain Tremblay. He is a professor of medicine at the Cummings School of Medicine and a respirologist focused on lung cancer care at the Foothills Hospital. He is working to get early screening on a large scale in Alberta, something that is already happening in the U.S. The U.S. has been ahead of the game. You know, it's been, it's been recommended as a, and funded uh, through through insurers and, the, and Medicare in the U.S. since about 2014, 2015, I think, for Medicare. Um, so they, they've been doing this for, you know, six, seven years now, uh, following a large U.S. studies that, that was uh, published uh, a few years before that that showed that it reduced mortality um so and but but around the world it's been a bit slower and so canada's more and more with the rest of the world than, than we are with the u.s unfortunately but it is moving and we're seeing a lot of provinces including alberta uh, looking at pilot studies now uh, you know through the public health system where where uh, people might uh, avail themselves of screening uh, up until now in canada we've been quite active on the research front and we we had quite a few research initiatives where people could get screened uh, but for the, for the most part this is no longer considered research this is uh, considered clinical care so it's really up to the provinces at this point to pick it up and um and, and offer a program with early screening what kind of impacts could it have if stage four is, is mainly when people get diagnosed uh, how big of an impact could it have of, with the early diagnosis yeah so quite an impact so if you look at the people in our in our screening studies and, and other people's uh, screening studies um you know so uh, in, in normal practice in my office when I see people with lung cancer about 
three quarters are presenting at an advanced stage, so that's stage three and four. In under a screening program, it's the complete opposite. Seventy-five percent present um, with early stage disease, stage one and two. So it completely flips 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 the equation around. So it's quite a dramatic uh, impact. And from the very large studies, we can see that um, mortality is reduced overall, not just for lung cancer, but overall, which is actually the only um, screening test that's been shown to reduce what we call all-cause mortality, meaning, you know, you're not causing more harm and there's not other factors that are that are um, impacting patients. Overall, um, uh, if you, more lives are saved with screening than without. Um, and again, we haven't seen this all-cause mortality with any other uh, screening programs like mammography or, or, or colonoscopy, but yet that's funded. Um, so there's a bit of a... Uh, of a um, uh, you know, it goes back to the stigma you alluded to. You know, it's maybe a bit of stigma here that that has slowed things down. But I, but again, I, I hope to see that that's changing um, in the near future. So, what needs to happen for that change? To happen. Yeah, well, it's interesting. You know, I mean, the stigma is there, and and you know, you don't hear about the uh, 5K run for lung cancer. Um, and there's a few reasons for that. First of all, the uh, many patients don't survive lung cancer, so they're not around to fundraise. Um, breast cancer, fortunately, has a very high survival rate of 90%. So there's a lot of advocate for it after, which is fantastic. We don't have that for lung cancer as much, and uh, we have a few people, but it's a small number. Um, and the other thing is, a lot of people are reticent to stand up because um, you know it, it's it's it has been seen as a smoker's disease and something that people have um, have put on themselves, um, and um, you know that that prevents people from from speaking out to some degree because they'll be they'll they'll you know they'll be told basically. And I've heard this in many meetings by high-level people. They you know why why are we bothering with this? If these are people doing it to themselves, which is which is of course of course completely false and. And uh, if we applied that that mantra to everything else in our healthcare system, we wouldn't be treating many people for any for, for many kinds of diseases. And what has to happen to get things moving faster so early screening can start making lung cancer a more treatable and curable disease? People have to ask for it. They have to ask their family doctors. They have to ask their local MPs because, to to some degree, this hasn't happened quickly because the the, the because people haven't asked for it. Um, the science is strong. It's settled, and uh, we have multiple uh, studies showing the benefit. It. What we need is is the the will to fund it, uh, and not to fund it for a uh, thousand people, but to, to fund it for a hundred thousand Albertans that would qualify. Um, again, we're, we're talking about high risk screening here for individuals at high risk, not for the whole population. Um, so we need people to, to ask their MPs and their health ministers why, how come we're not doing this when our neighbors have been doing it for six, seven years. Um, uh, uh, BC is going full scale uh, with the program. Um, and um, Ontario is as well. Quebec is moving. All the other provinces are moving. Um, you know, there's talk about doing um, a pilot in Alberta, but it's, it's fairly small um, and limited and there's no long-term commitment. So we, we need the long-term commitment to do this and, and the will and that's both political, financial and, um, you know, the expertise is here. So we just need to apply. I'm Dave McIver with Global News Radio 770 CHQR. So sad, but so very true. There's so much stigma around that type of cancer, lung cancer. Survival rates are very low, as you heard the doctor talking about, and everybody just assumes smoker, even though that's not necessarily the case. Uh, I've said it before, my dad died of lung cancer when I was just 18 years old, and and boy, it changed 
everything about my life and my family's life moving forward. So, you know, the screening is something that's super important, really need to push for it. Um, and it's it's just a difficult one and, and it is a killer for sure in this country. Uh, just give you a little heads up. If you go to lungcancercanada.ca, you'll get more info there. They do uh, today actually have a national virtual patient summit going on from six till eight Eastern time tonight. And then this coming Sunday, an evening of hope um, also through lungcancercanada.ca. So it's a, a virtual one as well. I always emcee um, a, a lung cancer awareness um, big event, big fundraiser each year, but unfortunately due to COVID, we've had to put a stop to that. So like everything else, it's all going virtual. So an evening of hope will run Sunday night, something you might want to look into. Could paralysis be treatable? A new treatment is showing great promise in mice at this point. Joining me this morning to explain the findings is Samuel Stopp, Professor of Materials Science, Chemistry and Medicine at Northwestern University in Chicago. Good morning to you, Professor. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for inviting me to your program. Okay, so this treatment involves something called self-assembling gel. What is it and how is it being used? Well, self-assembling gel... Uh, means uh, that we have components that initially are liquid and therefore they can be easily injected into a living tissue. And then when they touch the living tissue, they form a gel. And that allows the therapy, uh, which is the liquid, to be localized at a specific site where you need to treat a problem. So uh, something that has been severed that caused paralysis, for example, this gel would sort of form something to bring the two ends back together. Am I right with that? Well, uh, I will explain. Uh, the When severe injury happens in the spinal cord, for example, from car accidents or sports injuries or explosions, shotgun wounds, etc., then uh, the axons of the neurons of the spinal cord, these are like the electrical cables that transmit signals between our brain and the rest of the body in two directions, and therefore we're able to move and sense. They get disrupted. Some of them get severed. Some of them get damaged. And sometimes uh, the entire cell along with its axon, the electrical cable that comes out of the cell, it just basically dies. So when we place this gel in the site of injury, then uh, the elements of the therapy, which are these tiny filaments that measure like nanometers in diameter, very, very, very thin, it, they would be of the thickness that you would get if you take a human hair and divide it, say, 10,000 times. Mm. And uh, they are made up of hundreds of thousands of molecules that we make. And those molecules carry signals to instruct the cells in the injured spinal cord to begin regenerative processes and repair processes. So uh, then in the end, one of the things that happens is that those cables that get severed, they are regenerated, they start growing again, uh, or those that are damaged. And for example, the damage could be because they have an insulating layer called the myelin. And this is very important for the conduction of the signals, uh, of those electrical signals that make us move and sense, 
it gets disrupted, but our therapy, the signals in our therapy, uh, help reform this insulating layer called myelin. We also rebuild the blood vessels that are disrupted and destroyed during the injury. And, of course, the blood vessels are necessary in order to feed all mm-hmm. the cells in, in the environment. And that includes saving more of the neurons after the injury. So all of those things we observed could happen as a result of the signals that our therapy contains. So promising work in mice. What would be the next phase then? Clinical trials and, you know, what does this look like for real world application for people who are paralyzed? Yes. So we are very excited about this therapy because uh, for, for two reasons, and I will explain then what the next steps would be. So first of all, it is based on a key discovery in science that will affect therapies across the board in many different areas. And, and that breakthrough has to do with the fact that the motion of the molecules within those tiny filaments that I just described is extremely important. So the molecules have to move with some intensity in order to be effective at signaling the cells. This is why, you know, this metaphor was used in the press release about dancing molecules. And so so that is based on a, the, the therapy is based on this key innovation. But the second reason we're excited about it is because it is very translatable to the clinic. And, and the reason is that when it comes to regeneration and repair, particularly of the central nervous system, which is so challenging to repair, people have been thinking about using stem cells and uh, genes and growth factors, like which are proteins, antibodies, and so forth. Mm-hmm. And these things are much more difficult to translate, you know, very challenging, for example, to use cells as a therapy. In our case, the therapy is just based on making two molecules that we can produce in uh, with high purity and high efficiency. But most importantly, the molecules are made basically of the structures that we eat every day in our foods. So in within about five, six weeks, the therapy is completely biodegraded into nutrients that feed the cells in the spinal cord. So this means that the therapy itself is very translatable, is very safe, very biocompatible. Fascinating. Therefore, we think it's very promising. Well, it, it, it sounds incredibly promising. We'll be watching and hopefully we'll be checking in with you soon for some results on human beings at some point that really move things forward for those who have been paralyzed. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Professor. You are very welcome. Appreciate Have a it. nice day. You too. Professor Bye. Samuel Stopp, Professor of Materials, Science, Chemistry, and Medicine at Northwestern University in Chicago. Well, it's been a rough couple of years for so many individuals and so many organizations, and the Veterans Food Bank is no exception. As we move past Remembrance Day and into winter, we can't forget about these men and women who bravely fought for our freedoms, but who rarely ever ask for help. While the Kensington BRZ is doing something about it, and Executive Director Annie McGuinness is here to tell us what. Good morning to you, Annie. Good morning, Sue. How are you? Excellent. Thanks so much for joining us. How many vets does the Veterans Food Bank serve in the Calgary area? Do you know? 
that's a good question. I don't know the answer yeah, to I that. Know, I, I know it's too many. Yeah. However many it is, it's too many. To think of veterans going hungry um, is terrible at the best of times. Agreed. But, uh, you know, in an economic downturn, in a pandemic, in, you know, the isolation uh, from the pandemic, um, Kensington businesses decided we just, we needed to try to help with this. So how are you doing? What's the program all about? And how can we help out? Oh, so uh, we've been supporting the field of crosses all of the month of December of the no- November too. So this seemed just like a really good fit for us. So we launched a food drive for the Veterans Food Bank on November 12th, and we're running it until December 17th. We have about 30 Kensington businesses uh, with collection boxes, and they're listed on our website. Those locations um, and more are volunteering and asking for boxes every day. Um, plus, we are going to collect on the Plaza area on Kensington Road, you know, in front of the Plaza Theater there. Um, tonight, which is our late night shopping night, and then for for um, three Saturdays, or four Saturdays, November twenty seventh, and then December fourth, eighth, and eighteenth. I would suspect you've already gotten a good response because you know when we say the veterans are in need, it's uh, pretty amazing to watch Calgarians step up to help. It absolutely is, and and we're thrilled to be participating in this, and, and businesses are, are really taking this to heart, and the public are really taking this to heart. Um, as I said, this is, you know, people don't like to hear, uh, think of anybody being hungry, but um, for our veterans, and especially when we're all reminded of this uh, with November 11th, uh, I think that people are, are, are feeling this, and I think the pandemic has made us all uh, have a sense of uh, uh, caring for our neighbors and worrying about others, so mm-hmm. this is this is a way for us to help. And I think it's important too, I know through November 11th, we were hearing often about uh, from organizations that deal with vets that they're the last people to ever ask for a hand or for help themselves. They're the ones who are helping other people. And I think it's a good thing to remember that we need to do our, our part for them. Exactly. We've also asked um, some school children at local schools to write some letters um, to the veterans um, that we'll include with the food bank drive. Um, so if any any school children or anybody else out there wants to write a letter to Kensington um, uh, to be passed on to the veterans, um, you can feel free. We have a, an orange mailbox where we're uh, collecting uh, Kensington Christmas cards, letters. Uh, you can post a letter there if you want to. Uh, it's an orange mailbox um, on 10A Street by Kensington Pub and DeVille Coffee. and uh, Or you can drop it off at the Plaza area or even in any of the food collection boxes in our businesses. Love it. Okay, so right through till December 17th, you've got 30 businesses taking part, so it won't be hard to find a place to drop off the food. Uh, let's talk as well about uh, Kensington Late Night Shopping Night. You talked about that. Give us a, a little bit more detail. Yes, that's tonight. Um, and it's uh, 5 to 8, although some shops may be open as, as late as 9. Um, and again, there's lots of businesses participating in Kensington. Um, and um, there's going to be music on the plaza area in front of the Plaza Theatre on Kensington Road. There'll be free coffee or hot chocolate. Uh, the first 300 people to stop in there to our tent and, and listen to some of the music that's going to be happening and get themselves a hot drink can also get a, a free Crave cookie, Christmas cookie, um, and we're doing that Christmas cards contest, um, and if you, if your, your Christmas card or letter to Kensington is chosen, you will win $1,000 in Kensington gift cards, and, um, and that's every week through Christmas. And uh, Santa Claus will be on site. Uh, we'll have a lit-up Christmas tree. We have fire pits. Uh, we have a new art installation we're putting in on the plaza this afternoon. It's a giant K to join our, our heart 
Kensington bench, and we'll be decorating that so people are invited to come and help us decorate that. You can bring an ornament to hang on the Christmas tree if you want. Um, and then Saturdays we're running um, November 27th, December 4th, 11th, and 18th on Saturdays from 12 to 3 in the Plaza area. Again, there'll be free music, free hot drinks, um, fire pits, uh, free horse and wagon, wagon sleigh rides, uh, Santa Claus, and on at least one of those Saturdays, Santa Claus is going to be on a bench, and you can t- get your picture taken for free with him. That's fantastic. Uh, the Food Bank Drive uh, Christmas Cards uh, Contest, uh, two pop-up markets on December 3rd and 4th, stilt walkers, uh, lots <laughs> going on in Kensington. Yeah. We'd love you to join us and bring a donation to the Veterans Food Bank. I love it. It's a great way to get people out shopping local, get uh, get buying and purchasing and helping the businesses that have suffered through the pandemic. A website for the Kensington BRZ? Kensington, YYC. Excellent. It's that simple. Thank you so much, Annie, and thanks for doing what you're doing for the uh, the Veterans Food Bank, too. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Annie McGinnis, Executive Director of the Kensington BRZ. One of the best parts of the holidays, of course, is all the delicious baked goods, but who wants to spend the holidays baking when we could be drinking eggnog by the fire and visiting with friends and family? Local Calgary Company has the perfect solution for us, and joining me now is Katie Duffin, founder of Lazy Bake. Good morning, Katie. Hi, thanks for having me on the show today. Thanks so much for joining us. At first glance, this has my name written all over it. So tell, tell us about Lazy Bake. What is sure. it? What sparked the idea? Cool. Uh, so it's really easy at-home baking kit. So all you have to do is add one or two ingredients at home. So we've got um, right now a line of cookies and brownies. Um, and then we've done a line of beer bread in collaboration with Village Brewery, actually, which is really fun. So those you just have to add a can of beer, so no kneading, no rising. You get a full loaf of bread, which is kind of fun. Um, yeah, and I just sort of started it about a year ago now, actually, and I was sort of at home baking a lot during the pandemic mm. and realized um, there weren't a lot of options for sort of, you know, like the chef's plate and HelloFresh and that kind of stuff for cooking, but for baking. So we kind of just started it up off of that. It's brilliant. Some really creative businesses have been born out of the pandemic. And you're right. There are lots of food subscription services out there, but nothing to do with baking. And let's face it, baking can be difficult, right? Like it's not for everybody. Yeah, totally. I think a lot of people are kind of shy away from it naturally. So I'm just trying to make it super easy, you know, eliminating most of the process for you. Okay. So how does it work and, and how do we sign up for a subscription with Lazy Bake? Yeah, cool. So we've just launched a subscription. So it's online on our website, which is lazybake.com. So you head there um, and we've got an option between regular flour or gluten-free. So you sign up for that and it comes to your house monthly. So we've got two kits and then one will be sort of one of our um, regular kits. And then the other one is going to be a monthly uh, exclusive for the subscribers, which should be pretty fun. Fantastic. And just in time for the holidays. Brilliant. Thanks so much for joining us, Katie. Good luck with it. Thanks. Katie Duffin, founder of Lazy Bake. You can go online, find out more details, and subscribe if you think that's something for you and why wouldn't it be they make brownies. LazyBake.com. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.